Hello, and welcome to our fourth episode of Roots Radio, a podcast about sharing experiences with those living with ALS. Our guests include those diagnosed with ALS, as well as caregivers, family members, doctors, researchers, therapists. In essence, what we hope to be is a broad representation of the ALS community. After taking the summer off, we are happy to jump back into our podcast series with our friend, Sarah, who was diagnosed with ALS in 2009. As a reminder, if you would like to be a part of our project, you can contact us at rootsradioals at gmail.com. I'm one of your hosts, Jesse Meyer. I'm a licensed social worker working in the ALS clinic in Pennsylvania's Lehigh Valley. And joining me is my co-host and my friend, Lenny Rafalco, who is a patient advocate and having been diagnosed with ALS in July of 2019. Thanks, Jesse. And hello, everyone. And welcome again to our podcast. In today's episode, we introduce our listeners to Sarah, whose story is inspirational as she and her family have been living with ALS for the last 12 years while raising three children with their husband, Christopher. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today on Roots Radio. Thank you. I'm really happy to participate. Uh, That's great. We appreciate your time and also sharing with us. And and so, Sarah, as as I mentioned in the introduction, for me, living with ALS, myself and you as well, I'm absolutely inspired as well as fascinated by the fact that you've been living with ALS um, for 12 years. So can, can you share with us some of your feelings and thoughts when you were first diagnosed and your expectations at that time back in 2009? Um, Well, as you know, uh, being diagnosed with ALS, it's a very long process. Um, So I was noticing a lot of weakness uh, in my legs and my hands were kind of cramping up and things. So you go through a long range of testing, to kind of rule out other illnesses. Um, So in 2009, after about 15, 16 months of, of seeing different doctors and specialists, um, I, it was recommended that I, you know, begin attending the clinic, um, at that time at at Penn university. Um, and like you said, I was 36. Uh, at that time I had two young boys, we were married, had a, had a house to take care of. And, um, you know, it's just a little bit overwhelming because of course, when you hear that there's no cure and you hear that life expectancy is two to five years from diagnosis. And you've already been having these symptoms for quite a few months. Um, you know, it was obviously very shocking in a way. I mean, I, I, I kind of knew obviously as I was going through the process of being diagnosed, um, I was getting a, getting a hint that that's what it was going to be. Um, but just my immediate thoughts were just all the things I'm going to miss. You know, the boys were, um, you know, like four and five or four and six. And, you know, I'm sitting there doing the math in my head. Like, you know, even if I'm lucky enough to make it five or six years, you know, my my second son wouldn't even be in double digits yet. You know, um, it was always important for me as a mom, even though I work, to be a part of their lives and involved in their lives and their activities. And um, I just kept thinking of all the things that, you know, come down the road as a parent, um, even them getting married and college and raising their own families. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to get to be a grandma, you know, I want to, I want that opportunity. So 
And again, thinking about the burden it was going to put on my husband as well. Um, we weren't, you know, financially rich by any means. So I knew he would need to continue working very hard to earn money and pay for the house and pay for all their needs. And we didn't have savings put away that, you know, I knew he could count on. I mean, I, as the mom, I handled a lot of the doctor appointments and uh, school things, school related activities and everything. And I thought, how is he going to, you know, be able to manage all this? Um, so again, it was just very shocking and very overwhelming, definitely at first. And I can, I can imagine that obviously I can relate to it as well, but, um, you know, being diagnosed that young with children, that would make, that would be something that, you know, you're scared for yourself, but I think when you start thinking in the perspective of, of other people that, that you're going to affect by, you know, having to go through ALS, that's to me when it becomes sad. I feel sad for, for, for people that have counted on me and being the unconditional backstop. And as a mother, I mean, I'm a father and, and your mother, obviously, to me, that's part of being a parent is that you're there unconditionally for them and to think that you're not going to be there for them at, at, at that early age for yourself. I can only imagine that that was just a, just a real sad burden that, that you had to work through. Definitely. And I commend you for, for working through that. And uh, um, here we are 12 years later. <laughs> you know, and, and you've got one off to, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but you've got one, one in college now. So um, it, it's great. It's great to see that yes. things are working out here after 12 years. Um, and, uh, you know, our, our, our uh, listeners can't see you on the podcast, but Jesse and I can, and you, you look, you look great. You look fantastic. You look vibrant, young, young woman that has, <laughs> you know, has the rest of, as the world buyer, you know, the world is your oyster, so to speak. So I'm really happy for you. Now, I'm also curious, you know, during these this 12 years, um, have you been involved with any kind of uh, trial treatments or studies or anything like that? I have not done any um, drug, drug trials, um, that type of, of research, mostly not because I wouldn't want to, but um, Again, when you're first diagnosed, I think I was just so overwhelmed with everything, you know, trying to manage, still managing the kids being young, as, as Jesse knows how busy that gets and still working full time and taking care of the house that there wasn't a whole lot of extra time to focus on looking up drug trials and can I participate? And then so when I did start looking into that, you find a lot of the drug trials, especially back then, um, one of their prerequisites to participate is you had to be diagnosed less than two years or, you know, onset of diagnosis, they always seem to have a timeline there. So especially with needing, you know, I would need to travel if I did find one and the kids being young, you know, unfortunately it just didn't work out at that time. Um, I have done as much as I can, you know, when they ask at our clinic visits, you know, if I'm willing to donate, blood or do an MRI or do a lumbar puncture for, for a research study. I'm happy to do that. Well, maybe not happy about the lumbar puncture, but sure. <laughs> happy to help if I can. So you may and be the first person who's ever happy. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's how kind you are. No. I can't see. There's a sign that's hanging up above 
in Sarah's house. So it's like literally right above your head, what we can, Lenny and I can see that says scatter kindness, um, which is just so true for you. It is unbelievable. When Lenny and I were talking about doing this ahead of time, we were like, God, Sarah is just joy. She just joy. Um, but you don't have to bring lumbar boxers. <laughs> just joy, just kindness. Hopefully this is much less uncomfortable. So. Yeah. Sarah is joy. I'm going to have to make sure I make my husband listen to that part. <laughs> no. um, but again, I've also done, um, there's different like cognitive studies out there that I've participated in. Um, I've had, uh, there was one for um, frontotemporal um, dementia, which is another aspect of some, some people with ALS can, can encounter. And so I, there was a lot of cognitive testing related to that. Um, you know, I, I definitely try to participate in what I can, um, but unfortunately haven't been able to been a part of any um, true drug trials at this point. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, when I first was diagnosed, you know, you think you're just going to immerse yourself in these trials and, and, and hopefully find something that that'll help. But the reality of it is you're, you're so caught up in just trying to process the information and then, like you said, as you go and investigate some of these trials more, you find out, in fact, the last one I looked at was that you had to be within three years of being diagnosed, and which isn't true. It's really the onset. And so they went back to a particular um, uh, physical ailment that I had, um, which in hindsight, I think was, was probably ALS. So I wasn't able to participate for that reason. So you know, by the time you have the onset and you get diagnosed, you know, it could be, well, I think you said it was like 16 months or, you know, 18 months or something like that from your, when you think back to the onset as to when you actually were diagnosed. And for me, it was probably a, a good year, you know, thinking back on the things that were, were, were bothering me. Mm-hmm. And I said, ah, you know, it's just, it's old man stuff. You know, my, 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 my lung capacity is not quite what it used to be. I'm, little clumsy, you know, working out and things like that. So it does get a little frustrating when you try to participate in these things and they've got those time limits, but it's ironic too. Sorry, Lenny, I didn't mean to, no, that's okay. but I find it frustrating too, that somebody who has been doing this for 12 years, I want to know why, like why we should be studying that, you know, like that's what we need. Um, and I, we've talked to other patients, I, you know, as well, um, Bill, actually, we had talked to mm-hmm. Bill last time and, and he shared that same frustration as well of, you know, the, the criteria that can be so limiting. And I understand the science behind it, but I don't, uh, but it's frustrating. You would think right. that we, right. I would yeah. hope that we can expand that bandwidth a little bit. Well, and I know, you know, we're going to talk about the Neils a little bit later, but I'm learning through that, that they, you know, they are doing their best to try to expand some of that. But unfortunately, like many things, it's so much tied into money and politics and funding. Yes, all that. And, you know, obviously research takes a long time. And unfortunately, for ALS patients, they don't always have that much time. And, you know, it's, it's a devastating disease, but people unfortunately go so quickly and we haven't had as many, there's a few big name, but it's sad to say, but you need some big name celebrities and famous people to 
really shed a light on it. So again, but even in that 12 years that I've been living with it, I've definitely seen more and more of that. So I think it's encouraging, (laughs) you know, on the news front, on the home front, (laughs) things are moving along, just not as fast as we would like them to. Well, and that's one of the things that I hope um, is a positive post-pandemic effect. We saw how quick the FDA could move with the vaccine for COVID. And I'm hoping that they can carry that same sense of urgency with some of these terminal illnesses. Nonetheless, I'll say it again. You look great after 12 years. So, and you got such well. a cheery personality and with everything that you've, you've done. And over this 12 years, you've, um, you know, like we, we talked about, you know, you've, you've raised kids and, you know, I think you worked early on when you were first diagnosed in the pre-K and K education while, while raising your three children, which I think, which I think is awesome. And I think Jesse's going to pick up on this a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Sarah, we are just so, um, in for so many reasons, inspired by you and what just in talking to you, I feel like we've learned. Um, but I am curious a little bit about, you know, when we were talking about parenting and, um, you know, you shared with us that, so you have three children, two boys, the oldest, which have just went to college a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. Um, and then you found out you were diagnosed with ALS, right? And then it was how many, what was it months later that you found out or that you were pregnant with your third? It was, it was less than a year from my official diagnosis. Okay. Yeah. So you left, this is what I keep envisioning when I keep hearing, like thinking about this story about you is like, you know, you, I often think about when people learn that they have ALS and, um, the impact that that has on people. And when they walk out of this office, um, knowing that we can't change often the outcome, but how do we make, how do people feel leaving. And I think our goal is always to make sure they feel supported, even if we can't change the overall outcome. So, but what I keep envisioning is, is you leaving Penn or wherever you were hearing that information. And then how many months later, leaving a different doctor's office, learning that you're expecting and I just keep thinking about those juxt- the juxtaposition of those <laughs> two things and how, oh my gosh, I mean, take us there if you can. I, I don't know. I just keep, I keep well, thinking. My, new, my, my, my most recent title around my house is chaos coordinator. So, you know, why not just throw a little more chaos into the mix? You know, there wasn't enough going on. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so No, it it was obviously a surprise, Um, maybe not obviously, but it was a surprise uh, and terrifying at the same time. Um, I will say I really didn't know what to expect. I mean, the diagnosis was so new at that point, I was still kind of wrapping my head around that, that, and I, you know, obviously from having two boys in the past, I knew what was involved there. Um, But so I one of my first phone calls was to, um, at that time, again, I was going to uh, the University of Pennsylvania, had a clinic at that time. And so I called the nurse there and told her what, you know, what I had found out. And I, I will never forget. She just kind of said, well, 
I don't think we have any other patients that we've been through this with, but we will figure it out. You know, we will, we will work through it. So it was just such a relief to know like, okay, I could have this baby because, you know, I, it was a blessing. It was, you know, a, a gift. I, you know, I wanted to have the baby if I could, but obviously knew there might be some other circumstances. So, um, you know, the pregnancy was a little more difficult just because I was more, you know, my body would fatigue just normally. And then when you throw, you know, pregnancy hormones and added weight and everything to the mix, um, you know, it, it was a little trickier as far as pregnancy goes, but I just kind of, like you said, I had a really good support system in, you know, my clinic doctors and, and nurses and all the specialists there, as well as my OB was very supportive. She, it was new to her too. She was a little scared because she's like, well, I'm going to be talking to your neurologist a lot because, yeah, <laughs> you know, she didn't really know what to expect either. Right. Um, and again, at that time, kind of like Lenny alluded to earlier is I was like a young white female. This was not <laughs> common for, you know, people my age to be going through this diagnosis. So yeah. it was kind of new territory for all of us, but with family support and all, I had a good, good system in place. And, you know, they were added doctor visits and, you know, added checks and everything. But overall, it was a really nice experience because I had my whole ALS family that, you know, kind of went through the journey with us and, um, they've been so great. They've, they've just loved watching, watching her grow. And, you know, so many of them have known me since I was pregnant. Um, so it's just been, been fun for everyone to kind of experience her joy. She's the one who really brought the joy, you know, and that, it just, I don't know what, you know, depending what you believe religiously, but everyone said, oh, she was sent for a reason. And, you know, I really think she was, it was just, because she kept us on our toes, still does, keeps us busy and, you know, helps us focus on, on the fun of life and not, not dwell on, you know, what's not going well. But that's it. When you have a young kid, a young child, um, you, you don't have much of an opportunity to think about yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's probably, <laughs> and this may, I don't want this to sound trite, but I bet there was plenty of days where you didn't give ALS a second thought because you had to get up and, you know, take care of the baby, feed the baby, hold the baby, change the baby, take the baby to their appointment, just play with the baby, be with the baby, you know, marvel over the baby, introduce the baby to your, 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 your two, um, to, to her two, two uh, brothers, you know, and probably by the, and then your, your husband gets home from work or you both get home from work. And then it's like, you've had withdrawal now for the last eight hours. So you want to stay with the baby and, you know, poke the baby, tickle the baby, make the baby laugh. Smile. I mean, all that stuff that I just remember when my daughter was born, you know, it just, I always said, you know, no matter what my day is, my day always gets better if I know my child has a great day and to come home and, and I could see that that would be such a, a treat for you to sort of just your mind goes off of it because you're just so focused on, on, on your new baby, but also you've got two other little children as well. <laughs> so I, 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 I think that was a real, real blessing. Yes, it was. And that's, I mean, part of why I became a teacher is because I could always find the joy in children and always enjoyed, you know, just kind of their outlook on life and their funny stories and how right. they're, you know, how they see the world. So again, that was a big reason why I taught kindergarten and pre-K and 
you know, continued an administrative role at the child care center where I worked. Um, but yes, definitely seeing, seeing the joys of her, you know, kept a smile on your face. I mean, but there were also, unfortunately, you know, a lot of hardships with it too, because honestly, I really couldn't carry her for very long. You know, they, they gain weight so fast (laughs) by the time she started, you know, two months or so it was like, she was getting to be too heavy. Um, that's when I started getting help in the house just so that I could conserve my energy, um, to be able to take care of her. Um, I don't know if I ever gave her a bath by myself because I was just nervous that I wouldn't be able to support her, um, appropriately. So, you know, carrying upstairs to bedtime, that was, you know, a lot of that fell on my husband, which again, then that's a whole nother <laughs> story thinking about, you know, the guilt you have when you're placing that on your, on your spouse. But I mean, obviously we're in a marriage and we're in it together and, you know, he was always supportive and helpful with that. Um, but it brought funny instances too. Like I bet she's probably the only infant that ever sat in a car seat and rode a stair glide down the steps to get right. into the car in the morning to go to school. <laughs> so, right. you know, that, that was the way I did it. I had to put her in a car seat because I couldn't carry, I didn't feel safe carrying her down the steps. So we put her in a car seat and I put her on the stair glide and I would walk next to the stair glide and hold on to the, oh my God, the car seat. <laughs> Talk about like just rolling with it. Cause you have to, what yeah, exactly. Like, I had yeah, to go to work. To I, steps. <laughs> I, I had to keep working and, yeah. you know, luckily it was at a childcare center. So my kids could come with me until they were in first grade. But, um, so yeah, that was a big part of it. And, you know, but then others would help along the way as well. So pros and cons, good and bad. <laughs> right. Right. So I, one, one question I have, um, and I want to ask you this earlier with regard to um, over you know, having your 12 years now of, um, you know, being able to, uh, to, to meet the challenge from ALS. Was there any, was there anything unique in what you did? Any, any, di- did, when you were diagnosed and even when you're pregnant, did you just go about your, your, the experience as you would any other day? Um, I mean, you know, was there anything that you needed to add, um, whether it was diet or whether it was, you know, obviously outside of, you know, getting help from others just because of muscle Mm -hmm. fatigue, but did you add anything, you know, to your daily routine once you were diagnosed or you just pretty much just say, all right, I'm just going to keep going. (laughs) In the beginning, again, not not too much change just because like we said earlier, you're so overwhelmed and life has to go on. It, it was like, okay, am I going to give up and lay in bed all day or am I going to keep going and, um, you know, fight to have more time with these kids. So it was, um, diet, I would say, you know, I mean, I try to eat well, but I am a picky eater, so it's not always, <laughs> it's not the best diet, but right. And I'm not giving up my ice cream and cookies <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, or my coffee, but <laughs> no. So obviously, you know, just <laughs> try to try to maintain a, a decent diet, getting nutrients in um, exercise in the beginning. Like I said, when the boys were little, um, <laughs> my, my neurologist actually said, don't exercise. You're doing enough. Just chasing them right. around all day, taking care of the house, going to work. <laughs> that was enough for my body. He said, conserve your energy, um, for your time with them and the time that your house needs. So, um, and then I think the biggest thing for me that 
looking back, I think really helped um, when I was when I did finally stop working uh, a few years after in 2012. Um, not that it took away all stress, but it took away a big part of my stress. And even though I was still at home, you know, my boys were going to school during the day. I was had my two year old with me. So that was a big challenge in itself, um, you know, but I didn't have to think about the work stuff. So at least it was something off my plate right. to take some of the stress away. Um, you know, I could get through my day, like you said, just focused on her and what she needed and, you know, hopefully get a few things done around the house and try to get the house better set up and organized. Because again, remember at this time, I'm still thinking it's going to progress, it's going to progress. You know, when you talk to other patients and you go to support groups and all they say, we'll plan for the future. So I was always trying to get things in order and make it easier for my husband if the time came that I needed more care. So I think just as the years went on, then after I stopped working, of course, there was still stress in my life. Of course, there was still things that were very difficult, but I finally learned how to pace myself and I learned what worked for me. And again, kind of tricky with ALS because it's different for everyone. But what worked for me is, you know, I could get up and do a little bit around the house and then sit down for 10 minutes. And then I could go, you know, play with my daughter for a little while and, you know, start dinner or whatever, and then rest for a little bit. And if I knew I had a big day coming up, um, and even now I do this, if, if I know like there's a family event happening on Saturday and I'm going to be busy, um, you know, I know that Friday I got to kind of take it easy. I can't overdo right. it. Um, it's very hard this time of year because it's my favorite time of year and there's so much to do. I want to, I still want to do everything, like go to the pumpkin patches and, right. you know, break the house and all that. So I have been overdoing it the last couple of weeks and I am paying for it now. I know you say I look good, but <laughs> sometimes that's a fake that's a big smile and <laughs> there's a lot of Advil involved, but <laughs> yeah, that's all right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so like, like I said, pacing, um, getting help when I can delegating things to the kids when they can help, you know, is definitely a big part of that. Well, that's good. And that's, that was the advice that I got from the clinic. And, uh, and actually the one thing that you had mentioned that I would probably recommend to somebody that that is just diagnosed with ALS or is living with it is to try to um, either reduce the their workload by going part-time or if you can financially do it just stop working mm-hmm. and and it was my sister said something that got to me because when I was diagnosed you know I, I kept working you know and I I, uh, I worked from home but you know, it was just getting harder and harder. And my my sister mentioned to my girlfriend, she said, "Why is Lenny wait? You know, why is he? Why is he still working? Why is he spending his energy on work?" And that really got to me because you're right. Because I mean, right now, I think that I've got, you know, uh, one of the, the the therapists gave me a great analogy that I always use is consider that every day you've got these parcels of energy and just can think of them as marbles in a bag, and you've only got so many marbles. And if you want to use all your marbles running outside, then that's fine. But you got no more marbles for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So I kept thinking, I said, well, why do I want to take the majority of my marbles, my energy parcels, and put them into work? And I enjoyed what I did, but 
you know, it just, that's when it struck me. Okay. I've got to, I've got to back off and change because there's better ways for me to spend what energy I have left. Right. And I'm yes, glad that was, you did the same thing. It was very hard. I mean, because I was with that school for 17 years, right out of college. That's where I started. You know, that was my only real, <laughs> you know, for, um, professional teaching job after, you know, graduating college. And of course I had connections with a lot of the families there and my kids had grown up there and attended summer camp there. And, um, but it was just too much. You know, I would come home at night and just be so exhausted and just all I could do was sit on the couch and put my feet up and just hope that, you know, I could get, get to bed that night. And it was sure. just, just overwhelming. And, um, it, financially, like you said, it, it wasn't an easy choice. Um, we, had to save, you know, in order to get by, we had to rely on a lot of community services for a while, um, you know, just to keep food on the table. And, um, you know, it was tough because at that time there was a six month waiting period for social security benefits to kick in, even if you, you know, had a disability, but, you know, once we got through that six months and we could get back on track with some sort of budget, again, still not, (laughs) not the same as working, um, you know, there's no opportunities for overtime and all with social security. It's, you know, a whole different, different issue, but it was a hard decision, but it, it had to be done. Well, I mean, I, I think Sarah, you have, um, you know, you said you, you, you said your family coined it as a coordinator of chaos <laughs> and it's interesting, like, you know, in talking about your daughter and, you know, all the adjustments that your family has, has made along the way. And, and, um, but then too, when you think about her, she doesn't know any different, right? Like you always tried to, when you were talking about what you love about kids and how you seeing the world through their perspective. Um, and I, I often think as a parent, this is something I am always trying to juggle around in my own brain is, you know, how so much, you know, we can teach them all these things and we can show them all these things and, you know, all the things we want to do and all what we want for them. And then sometimes I think, but yet at the end of the day, what I'm going to leave most with them and what I, is just how I live my life. Right. And like what they see mom and dad and grandparents and siblings doing. And I think, you know, about you, Sarah, um, that coordinator of chaos underneath that though, I, you strike me as somebody who has such mindfulness and such, um, ability to hear yourself and sort of, because I don't think you can coordinate that chaos well without sort of being core and strong and sort of, you know, those, those delegators have to have that sort of sense of self first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that I'm so struck by that by you. And I think that, um, every single curveball that has been thrown your way and you've even said it, it's not been easy. It's not been pretty all the time, but this is how we've done it. Right. And this is what we've, even how, you know, you mentioned about when we were talking about the trials and you've been, ex- you know, it, the exclusion criteria. And yet you hear, I've learned from you about being in research advocate, you know, through Neil. So you found this third way for yourself. Mm -hmm. And and I think that is such a, such an incredible 
gift that anybody that knows you can feel. Um, but on the parenting thing, I mean, my gosh, what, what advice do you have? (laughs) I mean, I would think, I mean, I know we, we talk to a lot of parents in clinic and, um, you know, it is this just third layer of my, you know, you know, how do I deal with it? How does my spouse deal with it? And then this, you know, and I do think it's any, you know, any age of kids, like we have elderly folks too, who it's like, how do I tell my kids, you know, and they're, they have grandparents, grandkids, but it's your, Mm -hmm. right. And so, I mean, how do you, I don't even know how you summarize advice in that situation, (laughs) but, but what would you tell the young or any, not young, I, I keep saying that, but any parents who are living with this and are looking at their kids and thinking, gosh, what do I say? How do I say it? I mean, right. Well, I mean, I guess, again, being a teacher, I'm kind of used to keeping things on kids level. So kind of, it does kind of depend on their age and, you know, you know, your child the best of, you know, what they can handle. If your child's more sensitive, you're obviously going to need to be a little more cautious with what you tell them. Um, if your child is a, an innovator and a go-getter, then heck, you know, tell them how researcher, what researchers are doing and what scientists are doing and let them, you know, travel along that avenue. Um, I you just, you just have to enjoy your moments with them. You know, it's very cliche, but you know, don't sweat the small stuff. It's really not going to matter down the road, you know, just watching my son, you know, graduate and I, and then something came up with my daughter this year in, in school, which I won't get into, but it was just like, basically just about, you know, which, which class should she be in for math? And I thought, you know what? She's in sixth grade. She is going to have enough math (laughs) by the time she graduates and she'll be able to get into college if she wants to go to college. And it's not that big a deal. It's, it's certain things you don't always need to push, 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 you know, just enjoy that time with them. And like I said, keep it on their level. Just for me, I just, you know, again, when the boys were younger, I just kind of told them the basics, like, of how it might affect my body and, you know, some changes you might see, like I might need, you know, a little extra help around the house. You know, you might see, you know, Aunt Jill coming in and helping out or Graham might show up more often um, to do things with you. And, you know, and I might be a little more tired, but this is why. And, you know, sometimes if, if I need to rest, it's so that I can save my energy and spend more time with you and tell them all the things that aren't going to change too. You know, we're still going to decorate pumpkins at Halloween. We're still going to have Christmas. You're still going to go to school and see your friends. None of that is going to change. That's a great, um, that's a great point. Uh, I guess I do mean to interrupt you since I did. That's okay. <laughs> that's a great point in, 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 in emphasizing the positive, you know, this is what's not going to change. Mm-hmm. This is what we're going to continue to do mm-hmm. and, and just integrate, weave the whole process together because mm-hmm. so often it's like when I have conversations with people about ALS and about how, you know, living through the, the pandemic and stuff. The first thing that comes to mind is some of the, the great relationships that I've developed that I never had, that I didn't have in, in, in 2019. I mean, the stuff that I do with Jesse, the stuff I do with the church. And for you to emphasize that positive with your kids, that, that's such a wonderful thing that I really, that, that's something I really encourage people. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I always say the greatest gift that ALS has brought me is more time with them. I mean, I, I've been lucky because it's been slow progressing that I've, that I've had these extra years. And that makes me just more grateful because, 
I, I know my kids inside and out. I can tell when one of them is sad about something, even if they're not crying. I can tell when one of them has a headache. I can tell when, you know, they're really passionate about something because I've been able to be here, you know, when they get home from school and I've been able to work, you know, go to school events and, and do things with them. So, you know, I try to like, you, you know, keep, keep perspective on that and do things with them to keep some of their life normal. Um, no, other things have been different for them. I mean, my kids were probably doing chores around the house earlier than, <laughs> than a lot of kids and, you know, but there's no harm in that. I never had them do anything that they couldn't handle. Um, and they've learned from it too. They've learned how to be helpful to others. They've learned how to see when someone's hurting. I mean, they know when I'm having a tough day. Um, they've learned to, you see somebody in a wheelchair, you hold the door open for them. You know, just those little things that I'm, I'm so proud that my, I have good kids, but it was, hard, it was hard work. And, you know, my husband and I both, both worked hard at it, but that's what was important to me was just to kind of lay that foundation for them and um, help them just to be good people. <laughs> that's great. Well, there's it's no really- doubt about it, that they having you and Christopher as, as, you know, the guiding lights in that, that that is just who you are and what they pick up on and what they see. And, um, and that's why I think it's important for us as a team and in clinic teams to develop that trust with our, our families to know the parts of those stories, because I'll tell you just even with Lenny, like, you know, his daughter recently got married this summer and living through that experience, you know, in his eyes has been such a joy. And, and, and so I say that to say like knowing what is, is, you know, knowing what keeps people, how you said, Lenny, if I know that, you know, Jess had a good day, my day was better. Like knowing that for each, um, each person going through ALS, knowing what that is, and it's not always kids, but you know, that's really crucial and really important. And I think that that's um, part of what a clinic or any, not just a clinic, any friend of somebody going through ALS, like anything I think is really important um, to be able to, to know those, you know, know who the, your people are and know what keeps us, us, you know, inspired and, and feeling, Absolutely. feeling core. Definitely. Absolutely. Sarah, one, one other thing, we also understand that in addition to, to raising your kids, your family of three with, including Christopher makes it four, um, three, four, five, including yourself, <laughs> have to use all five fingers, um, <laughs> that you and your husband have a, have a little side gig, a little side business. Is that something you could share with us? We do. Um I've always enjoyed, you know, doing crafts. I'm not super artistic. I, I honestly am better at kind of taking other people's ideas and taking off with them. Uh, and, but he is a very talented woodworker, um, pretty much self-taught. Um, it's amazing to me how much he can do. Um, he is a cabinet maker by trade. Um, but again, taught himself, didn't really go to school for, <laughs> went to college, but not for cabinet making. Um, so. 
he's very good at, at seeing the beauty in wood and what it can turn into. And so he will typically make um, a lot of serving bowls, boards, you know, cheese boards, charcuterie boards, trays, um, those types of things. Uh, we also refinish furniture and we like to repurpose things when we can, um, you know, taking something old and turning it into maybe a different use for it. Sure. Um, and then I enjoy, you know, crafting, like I said, and, you know, making signs and um, farmhouse decor, house decor, you know, home decor and things like that. Um, so was that one of your signs, scatter kindness? It's not. It's uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can change the words around and take credit for it. Or yeah. Add an adjective. <laughs> Something like that. But it's <laughs> that one I can't take credit for. Uh, <laughs> So, but our, our little side hustle, we call it, is called Sassafras Originals. And honestly, I mean, it's not, you know, bringing in the big bucks or anything. He still works, you know, 45, 50 hour a week. Um, but for me, it's a nice, again, now that the kids are older, um, you know, not as, not, I'm not as in demand as much as, you know, probably what Jesse's going through right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it gives me a creative outlet gives me something to keep me busy. And, um, but it, it's also, I really enjoyed learning. Um, I'm actually taking a, a college course right now. I'm, I'm going through a certificate program about business because I really don't know much about running a business, but I'm just kind of teaching myself as I go. And it's just been a fun way, you know, again, to share what he can make, you know, share what we can do. And, um, you know, for people that don't have that talent it's something we can bring to them and um you know hopefully help a friend refinish a piece of furniture or something like that sure. um you know so again it's i'd love for it to take off and go somewhere but for now it's you know a learning process i've learned a lot of patience <laughs> because uh projects do not always go as planned um you know you, everybody sees all these videos on Facebook and everything of, Oh, you can make this and do this. And yeah, guess what? (laughs) You know, the real story. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, so, but, so it's been a learning process. It's been a great way for me to work on my patience because that was not always my strength still, but um, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just something for me to do and something I'm passionate about and, um, and the kids are involved as well. They help me by doing sanding on the wood. And um, my daughter helps me a lot with um, my my vinyl cutting and, and making the signs and things. She's becoming quite skilled at it. So it's a good thing to do as the family, even if they're not all always into it. it <laughs> I try to yeah. include everyone. Yeah. So we'll see where yeah. it goes in the next few years. Do you guys have a website, Sarah, or a Facebook page or how? Do- um, definitely Facebook and Instagram. It's just Sassafras Originals. Um, and I'm working on the website. <laughs> that was my goal in January. And here we are in October. <laughs> just said to myself today, like, oh, it's just, it's a lot of work, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and my oldest that went off to school was my my big photographer help. He, because he knew a bit about photography and all from what he learned in school. So he would help me to, you know, take pictures of our items that we're selling and do things like that um, for marketing. So I will get it done. I will. (laughs) It's still on the list. (laughs) (laughs) It's becoming more of a priority because I am, you know, 
learning, like I said, through this class and through what I'm learning about, you know, running a business, you know, how important it is. So we'll get there. Well, plus Christmas <laughs> is coming up. So got to be ready for those. For it's right. It got to be ready for those rush orders. It is a good season for us. Yes. This <laughs> is a busy time of year for the business. That's good. That That's good. good. So your husband's a cabinet maker. He is actually now he um, he works uh, at a company that does a lot of high end um, custom made. They're often making things for people in New England and, you know, these giant kitchens and things. Um, he has recently moved into an office position where he helps uh, to process the orders. Um, but a lot of that was by his choice, too, just because, again, the, the labor, you know, being on your feet all day and the labor is very demanding and. Um, obviously he has me to come home to, and I always have a honeydew list for him. So, <laughs> but he, they'll still send him out on occasional install jobs and, and things like that. So. That's great. Well, that's good that your whole family can get involved with, you know, um, taking that business and, and it's going to be something that you're, you're really teaching your kids 10, 20 years from now, you'll be probably be surprised what they, what they take with them and what they may consider as one of their own hobbies. Right. So I think right. and that was that was definitely part of the goal was just to see them like, you know, we work hard and maybe we'll go, you know, at this pop-up event this weekend, maybe we'll have a great day and look, you know, look what you did. And so and also too, I think again, what you're what you just are in just by being who you are is also, you know, the courage and vulnerability and bravery it takes to like sign up for this course, you know, like, oh, you know, so like that, that another thing that like, just by doing, you know, Lenny and I think with us doing this podcast, sometimes it's like, it's all new and you don't know until you try it, like exactly. what's going to happen, but what a, what a, what an incredible thing, you know, to, for, for people you love to see is that it's not just, okay, you graduate school and then you figured it out. Like, no, right. It's a lifetime of like trying on new hats and figuring out things and, um, but being, being brave and vulnerable enough to sort of like take that step. Um, right. I I mean, I would, I would love, I hate that my degree is, you know, (laughs) that's why when the kids were younger, I would always volunteer to help in the schools if they would have me, because it's like, have this degree and it's just, I feel bad. It's going nowhere, but I would love to be able to go into the schools and and help more. But unfortunately it's just not always, you know, again, with ALS, you have to kind of be prepared. You don't know what the situation is going to be like, you know, they're going to ask you to, I did actually just thought of this story. One year when my son was in middle school, I signed up to help with picture day and I walked into the room, not knowing exactly what to expect. I had run picture day at my school, but obviously not for as many children as a whole elementary school. And the woman coordinating the volunteers said, okay, I need you to go to this classroom and bring this class up. Well, it was a walk like all the way across the school and back. Right. And I was still pretty capable then on my feet, but obviously fatigue quicker. And I felt so bad. I did it. I did the first trip. I was a nervous wreck. Like, oh my God, what if I fall in front of these children, you know, who barely know me. And so we got back to the room and I had to say to the coordinator, like, look, is there a different job I can do? Because I just can't walk that much. So again, you kind of have to know your limits and know what you can do. But for me, the business is a way to, again, just keep moving, keep involved because 
you know, just stay busy, keep my mind busy and, and, you know, put some value on, on things and, um, you know, well, you never know your limits until you test them. Right. You know, and that's because when you were talking about walking across the school, I remember the, the first time Marta and I went to a movie and it was one of those, you know, 18 theater, you know, complexes. And of course, movie we were seeing was the 18th, you know, <laughs> room or screen. And you know, I didn't think anything of it, but by the time I got there, it was like, holy cow. I just can't, I just I can't do this. I got to stop halfway and, and, you know, but that's how you learn. And just the fact that you, you know, realized, okay, I've got to find something else is a way of you sharing with the school and saying, okay, everybody understands. And what is it that you can do that? Cause there's plenty of things to do. People are willing to work with you. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's the only way you learn your limits is to, to kind of push yourself a little bit and hope you don't fall down. You know, may stumble a little bit, but but hopefully you don't fall down. Right. Um, just to, to to change direction just a little bit here. Um, really curious about your role as a Neil's research ambassador. And um, Neil's refers to the Northeast Amyotrophic Lateral Sclerosis Consortium, which includes about 140 um, research centers. They're committed to research in ALS. And how did you get involved in that? And what, 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 you know, what, what made you get involved with it? Um, well, honestly, through other ALS patients uh, that I knew um, that were big time advocates. And I, you know, I've done some advocacy as far as going to Harrisburg and meeting with some local senators and representatives. Um, but there were two other patients in particular that, you know, I knew were very active um, advocacy, and I had seen that they had both gone through this program um, where they became research ambassadors. And I thought, okay, that's a little scary to think about because you know I don't have that scientific brain, so the you know the research element of it, you know, is a little bit. Uh, I wasn't sure I'd be able to handle it, I should say, but. You know, I saw their posts that, you know, what they had done, they had gone to this basically a conference, a two-day conference, and and learned how to be a research ambassador and um, saw what they were sharing on social media. And, you know, I knew it was information that was being helping me. So, of course, hopefully it was helping other patients as well. So, um, I actually mentioned to um, someone who used to work at the... uh, ALS Association Philadelphia chapter and is now affiliated with uh, the ALS Hope Foundation. Um, And I told him that, you know, I'd be interested if the opportunity came up again, at least to learn more about it and decide if it, if it would be a good fit for me. Because again, as the kids are older and, you know, I just like to stay busy and um, like to help where I can. So um, I reached out to him and told him I'd be interested. And so when the time came for another workshop to be um, or a conference to be held, um, he did reach out to me and um, I just got some more information from him. So basically it's uh, the Clinical Research Learning Institute, the CRLI, um, was developed by Dr. Richard Bedlack, who is a pretty well-known uh, doctor and researcher from uh, Duke University. And he began this program that um, basically it's just a two-day program that trains you to kind of analyze research, um, 
be aware of how you can advocate for research and research um, advocate for funding for research and just to help get the word out. Because again, kind of like we were saying tied into the trials, you know, we just need more people to understand the impact that ALS has on families and people. And we need people to understand how important the funding is and just to kind of help educate everyone about it. Um, so it was, it was just a really nice opportunity to kind of get involved, challenge myself again with something I wasn't really sure about, but, um, to kind of help, help advocate and spread the word to other patients and families, hopefully. Well, here's what I'm learning. (laughs) Whenever you say there's something you're not sure if you're going to be able to handle, girl, you find a way. (laughs) You find a way. I don't know. (laughs) Does that mean that brick and mortar store is coming? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, though, it's so interesting. You say, even I said it earlier about not knowing the science of things. And I feel like, I don't know if this is just maybe being a woman or being um, just a person, you know, we find our niches and we learn what we learn. And sometimes I feel very intimidated by things I don't understand, or I feel insecure that I might sound silly when I talk about things. And, um, I don't want to, you know, I guess I feel insecure about certain stuff. And so all that to say, um, you know, diving into this research world, the scientific world, Um, you are making it less scary and uncertain and unknown for, for me, for other people listening, for other people going through this. And I think that that's, um, you know, incredible that, that it's not something that you turn away from and say, oh, well, I don't really understand it. So I'm just going to not look at it, which a lot of people do, right. I've done that. We all do that in certain things. So I think it's incredible. And I also think that's a huge credit um, to Neil's that they, it's important to them. And Dr. Bedlock, like you said, I I got to hear him speak once. He's incredible. That it's important to them as an institution that that your voices are heard and your ears are hearing what's being said, right? Mm -hmm. I I find that an important value. Right. And part of the the program, when you go through the the conference training, they do teach you how to read a research paper. They they review a lot of the math and the statistics and all. I I admit I did not take away a whole lot of. I'm not great with the terminology and you know all the technical aspects, but I can read an article or read a research paper and know if you know there's. I can look. They did teach me what certain things to look for to know if it's a pretty valid. Um, trial that's happening or research say that's being done. And again, I can still advocate. I can still share that information on my social media and with my friends and with other ALS patients. And, you know, that's not hard to do. It's, I can learn more about research opportunities, some of which, you know, may apply to me. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of keep up, but, you know, we alluded to a little bit earlier about keeping up with all the research and, drug trials and other trials that are happening, but this is a great way to kind of tie it all together 
And even if I just learn a little bit about each thing, at least it's, it's, it's in there and I know how many people are working at it. And I know that, you know, down the road, you know, there might be an opportunity for myself or for other patients that I know. Yeah. It's like, I was just thinking, envisioning this, like even how you did for with us earlier, how we were talking and you said that, but there are things that are happening and there are things that's, that's, and it's almost like you're that for sort of first line, you know, first group of people that the newspaper is getting disseminated to. Right. So you're, you're knowing that information and you're choosing how to advocate for and with, you know, people that it's impacting and that that's really, that's a really, really cool thing. And, and really makes me respect Neil's even more too, that they have that it's a, that's a value system of theirs, which is important. Right. And there's so many aspects of it. Like, like I said, I'm not great with the technical stuff, but um, I was able to participate for the first time in um, an advisory board for a drug that they're, that a company is, is working on developing. Um, so that was a new experience for me, but they, like you said, they wanted to know other, you know, from patients, do you think this pill, you know, just the, the physical pill, would you be able to swallow this, you know, if we had to give it to you in pill form? Um, what do you think, you know, this would be reasonable? Different aspects of just developing it. They were very interested in the patient's perspective. So, you know, maybe I can't participate in certain drug trials, or maybe I don't understand every bit of terminology they throw at me, but I can just try to spread what I do know and, you know, hopefully encourage others. I have a good friend who's a whiz at math and very interested in research. So I said to her, like, you would be a great research ambassador because you could focus on, you know, some of these trials that are happening and, you know, how valid are they? And, you know, what's the prognosis? Do we think like in a year or two, we're going to have, you know, a drug that we can get on the market for people. So it, there is a little bit of something for everyone. You don't have to be super scientific or knowledgeable in those areas. Um, there, there's other ways that you can help. Well, that's one thing I like about it is that I like hearing, you know, I, I'd rather hear it from somebody that is kind of living through the issues than somebody who is more sterile and clinical because to them, it is a lot of statistics and I don't, I'm not questioning their compassion, but I, I it, it, to me, hearing it from you as an ambassador would, would really um, hit home more so than hearing the medical terminology and, and, and boiling, you know, us as ALS people, down to statistics, mm-hmm. but actually hear from somebody that knows what 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 is being experienced. So I think that's great. And and my biggest takeaway from my experience so far has just been I'm overwhelmed by the amount of collaboration between different ALS organizations and researchers and drug developers. It's just it's really great. I, do you think again? It's it's taken a long time, but I think the ball is at least rolling in the right direction. That they are trying to work together and try to pull their funds and and um, you know be smart about how they use the funds they have and and um, 
make an impact um, by working together, which is, is, is nice to see. And it's just, it's been great to see how, just how many organizations are out there fighting for ALS patients and, and fighting for more help for us and, and funding for research. So again, I, my takeaway is just a nice, a nice feeling of at least someone out there cares, you know, we're, we're not just being lost and forgotten. Now, Sarah, you mentioned that um, you could sort of, um, in terms of how how to get involved and, um, you know, timing-wise, how much of a time commitment you, you, you've shared with us that one of the things you like about it is that you can sort of cater it to your schedule. Um, and how, and can you tell us just a little bit, a little bit about that and sort of, um, you know, for people listening, um, how they might be able to get involved. That, that was a very big part for me because when I was, like I said, talking to this, um, person that was helping organize the workshop that I was considering, um, you know, again, I was like, well, I might be taking this college course and, you know, like I'm sending one to college. I don't know how much is going to be involved there and all that. And, and he assured me that it's, it's really, you put as much time in as you, as works for you. Um, I, for me, if I have like a super busy week with other appointments or, you know, just other things going on with the business or the family, then maybe I don't share a whole lot, or maybe I just share one or two items on Facebook, or maybe I don't attend any meetings, but there could be another week where, um, and again, part in this day and age, so many of them are virtual. So it's very easy to attend. Um, they have a lot of webinars um, and meetings where they just kind of update you on things that are happening, um, you know, usually about a specific study that's being done um, or studies you can participate in or, oh, we're looking for people to help with this, or that's how I got involved in the advisory board for the drug that they're developing. Um, so you can learn about those things and then you can choose where you're going to take it. Are you going to just share that information or are you going to go and talk to a local community group about it? Or are you going to actually participate in the trial or the study? Um, and it's really up to you. So they have regular um, webinars and meetings and things. A lot of them are like over the lunch hour. So I can sit here and, you know, watch a, <laughs> watch a Zoom call and they'll present, um, you know, each organization will present what they're, what they're up to, what progress they've made um, and, or what they might need. And, you know, just do it at lunchtime and, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of time out of my day. I don't have to leave the house. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a nice way to, again, like I said, just kind of stay connected and stay involved and, and learn a little bit, you know, each time. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I know the website, I believe it's neils.org. Is that where somebody, if they wanted to get involved, could... I would imagine there's information. I'm sure there's information there. Also, if you look up, um, like I said, more specifically, the CRLI, which mm -hmm. is the Clinical Research Learning Institute, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of the overhead for the actual uh, conference that they do. They used to have the conference in Florida, which was enticing to me. <laughs> but again, with COVID, the one I did was all virtual. Um, and it's over two days. But 
they spread it out. They throw in fun activities and things. It's not like, oh my God, I got to sit and listen to people talk about science for two days. You know, no, it wasn't like that. Um, So they run a, they organize these workshops and they've decided since COVID that these virtual ones are really working out very well for them and for so many people to participate because obviously most people with ALS travel is difficult. There's that's a whole nother can of worms. So taking that into account that I think down the road, they're looking to probably stay virtual and it, it was fine. And there's plenty of time for interaction. If you do have questions or you don't understand something and there's follow-up afterwards, if you have anything you didn't quite understand or you want to ask more about, you get all their contact information. Um, so like I said, I would, I would check out that uh, Niels or the CRLI uh, websites and then the They'll let you know. I know they did just have one or there's one upcoming in October that registration is closed for, but um, I'm not sure how many, how many times a year. Mine was in May. So I know it's more than once a year that they will run these two day uh, sessions. So I would just let them know. I'm sure there's an email on there to, to get involved and let them know you're involved in learning more about it. And, um, and certainly if, if you don't find your answer that way, let me know and I will <laughs> do my best to connect you. <laughs> I just Googled it. And if you go to, if you just Google CRLI, mm-hmm. it, it comes up. It's the ALS right, Clinical Research so. Learning Institute. So mm-hmm. um, it, the information is there for people. Great. And I may even look into this myself. So I find, I'm finding this very informative. I think you would like it. I do. I think just, you know, from, from meeting you and, and knowing what, you know, where your strengths lie, I think you would enjoy it. And again, it's, it's not taking away three hours of your day or 80 hours of your week. It's just what you can do when you can do it. And yeah, the next, the 11th annual Neil CRLI takes place online in October 8th and 9th of this year, Mm -hmm. but the deadline to apply for it is now passed. So I guess you'd have to wait if you wanted to become a, an ambassador You'd have to wait to the next opportunity for the um, for the uh, annual event, I guess. But anyways, it's there for people to look at. Yeah, very cool. Well, Sarah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I've been envisioning Lenny that we got to get her a sign. That's a- <laughs> Sarah equals joy. And then I was oh, thinking, gosh. oh, I know a woodworker. That could do it. <laughs> so I'll have to connect with your husband and have him secretly make you the sign. No, I don't and know if you could do your that. house from Monday and I. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, but you do. You just exude joy. And oh. um, I am so so grateful for your time, for you, and for just um, sharing with us some stories about your life. And, um, you know, I know that sometimes you said, you know, sometimes you just have to put on the face and that <laughs> will. And I know that for as much joy and happiness, there's also, a, it's not always an easy road and that can be really hard to always sort of be that. And, um, I just want you to know that you are incredible and we see that and honor that and are so in awe of you. So thank you for taking your, some of your precious time with us. Well, thank you. I'm again, always looking for ways to, um, you know, 
put in my two cents and anybody to listen to me and you can always put it in here. <laughs> right. Oh, you might regret that. <laughs> no. Yes. Um, but no, my just my point is that there's ways, there's ways for everyone to be involved. Mm-hmm. It, you know, everyone, no matter your personality or the stage of your illness, or there, there's things out there that you can do um, to be an asset and to be helpful to, to others. So just try and do that when I can. Well, thank you very much. You certainly, certainly are doing that. Mm-hmm. And we're very inspired by it. So thank you. Thank you. I'm inspired by the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're your episode number four. And that's my favorite number. Stop it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. See, yeah. that was meant to be. <laughs> Always has been. Even before Lou Gehrig, four was my favorite number. There were so many weird coincidences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. I love it. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thanks a lot. Take care. Hey, bye-bye. Bye. Wow, Lenny. So here we are uh, rounding out episode four with Sarah. Um, I, I'm just, I'm in awe. I'm very inspired by her. I feel that there is so much that I learned about Sarah just in like listening to her talk and share some stories about what she's been through. Um, And I what something that keep I keep thinking about, and I'll be curious to see what your thoughts are too, is I feel very inspired by her ability to be real and in the moment and acknowledge what she's feeling and thinking and worried about, and also remain hopeful at the same time. Um, she just keeps striking me as somebody who's so mindful and aware. And a realist at the same time. Does that make sense? No, and I think that, I think, I agree with everything you're saying. And I think that she's taking advantage of a a gift that she's been given, Mm -hmm. which is being able to live with ALS for 12 years. Mm -hmm. And the gift doesn't have an ALS, obviously, but the gift is a uh, a, a, a trend, a decline trend that is rather flat. Mm-hmm. And so I really am happy for her. Mm-hmm. And I think that she's using that time that she's, that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, 12 years is a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a long time to live with ALS. So mm-hmm. certainly the challenges, but flipping it to the positive that, all right, I have it. And now it's part of my life. And I've had an opportunity to digest how and process it and now to adjust my life mm-hmm. and so I, it's great to see that that somebody that's been given that that somebody that has it mm-hmm. um is taking advantage of it mm-hmm. if if you understand what i'm saying they're not just taking it for granted i'm so happy for her especially with having the three children three young kids and you know now obviously they're grown and and being able to use that in a very to put value, to have real value in those 12 years. So I I think that's really super. Yeah. And yeah, I agree with everything you said. And and also that there is nothing that's, there's nothing she can't do. 
even though she knows that there are some things that have had to change. Like when she was sharing the story about her, you know, her, all the things that maybe were different with her daughter and, and yet she found a third way, right? Like it wasn't just, oh, I can't ever do this with her. I'm going to get her down the steps in the car seat by going down the stair glide and we're going to do it, you know, like right. I'm, and that seems like a thread and a trend throughout her whole, her whole life. Um, even now with this business and taking a business class and starting, you know, learning about a totally new thing. And, um, you know, there isn't anything that is, is stopping her from, from taking, like you said, taking advantage of life and, you know, taking these circumstances and saying, okay, well, yeah, I have this, but, but what else am I going to be able to do? Right. Right. No, and I think that's, that's, to, to me, I just think that that's real important. And I'm glad to see somebody taking advantage of that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And she certainly is. And, you know, as we were interviewing her or talking with her, um, you know, I jotted some things down and, you know, I think a lot of it would resonate with, with a lot of the ALS community. You know, one of the keys is having a support group and she has it not just with her husband, but as she mentioned with some friends and, and her children, maybe be, maybe be her biggest support group, even though she's the one physically, you know, and, and parenting them, but they help so much with her. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's, it's a, a, a beautiful distraction. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's great. Um, you know, and the unique experience that she had being pregnant and that now those doctors and the team that were with her, that's something that they can share with the next person that may face the similar mm-hmm. circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping things in perspective, realizing what's really important. Mm-hmm. How you know what's the overarching goal versus these little tactical issues, mm-hmm. and a lot of times you you know because you've got a perspective on time more so now than you may have had that you would have had prior to being diagnosed, but it helps you keep it in perspective and as to what's important, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I think that that's real uh, a real key, and then of course I'm intrigued by this whole uh, Neil's research ambassadorship and quite honestly it's the first time i heard of it when we were talking with her preparing for the podcast and i am um, uh, a little disappointed that it looks like um if i wanted to get engaged with it that i'd have to wait uh you know several months if not a you know another year for that that two-day class but but i'm going to look into it and so that's mm-hmm. something that she uh um that she shared and that i myself have use it as a takeaway from it. So I think that that's, that that's really good. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm very, very impressive. Very, very good. Very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing, um, it's a, I was writing stuff down too, that she said that just stuck out. And I, when she said, when we were talking about parenting and how to talk to your kids about stuff, like ALS or, um, you know, other diseases in in the family and how she said, you know, you talk to their level, but how also this, this flip of, you know, maybe some things are going to change, 
but here's what's not going to change and listing those out. And just that, you know, I can think of, you know, certainly when talking with kids, but I think when talking to anybody in your life about an issue or what's going on or a big sort of fork in the road that, you know, yes, things change, but guess what? Here's what's not going to change. So I was really struck by that. Um, yeah, so many things. I feel like I have a whole thing of quotes that she said that we could, we could just keep going. We both said we this a conversation could have been a lot longer. And I feel like um, there still would have been a lot more to talk about. So definitely grateful for Sarah, grateful for you, grateful for Reads Radio and this community. And um, we can just keep learning episode by episode, right? Yep. So let's tee up number five here pretty soon so we can get that out. Um, and we'll keep our listeners. We'll tease our listeners. We won't tell them what it'll be. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much because we don't know what it'll be. <laughs> But we're teasing. We're keeping them on the edge, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. It'll be about something with somebody at some time. Yes. And it'll be very interesting and very inspiring. <laughs> okay, that's right. That's right. All right, Jesse. All right. Have a great day, my friend. Thanks. You too, Lenny. Bye. Bye-bye.